and you are listening live. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday Lunch with Krupa and Nazia. Today we'll be talking to our guest Ladi, who will be shining the beacon in harnessing hope through poor education. We'll, we'll end with our a wishing you earlier and our twenty Sunday moment. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in. Check it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to our Sunday lunch show with uh, Krupa and Nazia. Hi, Krupa. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Not bad at all. Recovering. Recovering. Right. So, as always, let's uh, start with how exciting your weekend's been. You seem to get on, on, get on with a lot more exciting things than I do. So <laughs> let's, let's hear it. Where do I begin? Right. Okay. So, um, Festival of Education um so we were there having a, a wonderful wonderful space and forum to to have a discussion but i'll come to that in a second but i just wanted to take a step back and think about how powerful festival of education actually is uh the number of talks that were happening and really powerful talks were incredible um but there's a few things that i thought was pretty interesting um and all the, the ones that i went went to to hear um, there were some really key themes that came through. And actually, it's really nice compared to last year. A lot of it was around action. So I think we're moving away from really nice ideas or great ideas or things that we have to do. And they're actually becoming really quite tangible. And people are saying, this is what we've done so far. And this is the direction we're going in. And this is the impact that we've had. Um, so for me, that was really, I, I felt there was a, a greater sense of hope. Um, in that regard. But um, in regards to, to what we were talking about around um, developing BAME women in particular into leadership, um, and my goodness, the, the, the people that we were, were with at that point in time and how they were sharing their vulnerabilities was really touching. Um, but also, what was interesting, and I didn't expect this to be said out loud, but was said out loud, is how the system for recruitment or for and yeah, I'll just keep it to recruitment and keep it nice, you know, nice at this point in time. Um, and how there are concerns around collusion and there are concerns around it not being as fair as it may appear. Um, and, and how that has impacted women of colour in particular, which is really, really interesting. Um, and uh, another really big thing that came through was um, the number of NDAs that are that are happening, uh, which, again, is, is things that I, I'm going to go in and really delve into and think further on. Um, so that was really, really interesting. But yes, overall, fantastic. I'm still decompressing, still trying to unpick all the wonderful things that, that happened. So yeah, good. Great. Well, thank you so much, Krupa, for sharing uh, your weekend with us. Um, so today we'll be just talking with Laddie and uh, let's get started.
Hello everyone, it is an absolute pleasure uh, to be here with Nazia as always, but also to have a very special um, friend um, and, and someone that, I, that we both admire dearly um, in, in her work and career. So uh, without further ado, welcome Laddie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Great to be How here. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Excited to be here and be uh, talking to your audience. So really thank you for having me. Uh, it's it, you know it's really nice to have a platform with enthusiastic people that also are able just to share some good work, some good practice, and to network. Um, so, talk us through um, who you are and and your career to date. Wow. Okay. Who am I? Um, I am Ladi Mohammed. I am. I like to think of myself as a careers practitioner, careers professional. I've been in careers for about. 28, 30 years now, loving every aspect of it. I've done it for adults, um, helping people find work, unemployed people find work. I've done it for executives, helping executives move, move up in their careers. Um, but at the moment, and I'm loving what I'm really doing, which is really working with students. Um, I used to work in a university with students, but now I work with secondary school students and their career leaders and educators to make sure that they are well, students are well informed in secondary schools to be able to make informed decisions about their careers and their futures. So, Laddie, what made you go into this aspect of education? Oh, that's a really great question. And um, I was actually thinking about this um, about a month or two ago when um, I visited America and um, someone uh, was at a conference in Delaware and they asked me, someone asked me the same kind of question, like, you know, where does your passion for careers come from? And I realized really and truly that it came from a very early age for me, you know, so they've been sort of like pivotal experiences that have solidified my dedication to championing careers for young people um, and recognizing really and truly how good careers can positively influence uh, multiple aspects of life. I had the privilege of witnessing individuals, um, including my own father, for example, um, through their successful careers, achieving remarkable milestones. I saw how having a good career not only provided them with financial stability, but also opened doors to countless opportunities. My father, for example, was able to purchase his first car in Nigeria, you know, a symbol of in independence and mobility, which further enhanced his sort of like personal and professional growth. His career success has played a crucial role in meeting and marrying, say, my mother, um, us, his kids later on, influencing us in our own life choices. You know, so it really helped him to find a wonderful partner. Um, as both my mother and my father, you know, they were very attracted to themselves being like-minded individuals who had the same kind of ambitions and values. Um, you know, despite my grandfather, for example, who was a goat herder in Nigeria, who had 14 children, my father was one of them. You know, despite that, my father deliberately concentrating and focusing on his career was able to um, come to the UK as a Nigerian government representative and he was able to provide for his family financially and then and then lots of other things came our way you know because him for example my father's dedicated to his career we were able to come here to this country to go to boarding schools here uh where my brother and myself were able to sort of like 
build up our what's known as cultural capital. We were able, able to make connections to, um, you know, have friends that their fathers worked in industries that were, I always tell people, I probably would never be unemployed just because I have enough connections based on sort of like my boarding school friends to be able to make, um, to be able to find a job if need be. So that kind of thing came into place. But just quickly adding, my father also, because of him being able to focus on his career, move his family over here. He was able to buy his first home in England. He was able to take us on numerous holidays uh, to America, to Nigeria many times where we'd meet, you know, sort of like our cousins and things like that. But most of all, it was really the um, memorable holidays, enriching experiences that we gained from these memorable holidays um, that allowed me to also be able to explore new horizons and more importantly, create really cherished memories with my grandparents because dad took us to see grandpa and grandma it was all these wonderful things that made me think you know what if you get your career right you'll be able to afford a good home afford a good car but more importantly create really long-lasting memories with your family you know so for me it was also that kind of you know being able to just support your family long term. My father was also the epitome of diversity. I got to meet people from Israel just because he was able to connect with business contacts in these kind of countries. You know, so it was that kind of thing I'm thinking, you know, that really got me very much interested in careers. It's so interesting. It's like the way you're talking about it is exactly how I when when I think about the um, a career path for myself and what having a job what a career that my dad took on mm -hmm. what that meant for us in uh, as immigrant as an mm -hmm. immigrant family and how mm -hmm. actually the premise of that has changed over a period of time now with second and third generation yes. what you find is that it's not about you know making a place for yourself in in society in the same way and making mm. a space a safe space for yourself in a new country you know, it's, mm. it's the parameters have changed, haven't it? Yes. Oh, hundred percent. You you, uh, you brought a smile to my face as you were talking there, because um, as you said, you know, quite rightly, my children are third generation, you know, um, hence why for me, it is really important that we concentrate on the power of storytelling. Um, mm -hmm. My father used to tell me lots of stories about my grandfather. Um, mm -hmm. I got to see Nigeria firsthand because my dad did make sure every year we went back to Nigeria on holiday and we did visit my grandfather in his mud hut and we were made to appreciate that this mud hut did not have electricity so please appreciate it that you have this in London and I'll never forget one of my cousins coming up to us and saying is it true that you have libraries in London and I said yes and he said then why isn't everybody in England a lawyer or a doctor because if you've got books that can read to become lawyers and doctors, why are you not? Why am I hearing stories that some people, some students in England don't want to go to school? Why would you not want to go to school? That there really had a big impact on me, ladies, because it made me realize I must never take for granted the ability to have a book that I want. I can go to the library, ask for it, even if they don't have it. My library, the ones that my dad used to walk us to, they would order it for us. And yet students or children in Nigeria didn't have this. My own cousin in Nigeria didn't have this. So I knew I had to make a success of myself. 
My children now, on the other hand, they take it for granted. Oh, clean water, running electricity, no problem. It's all, you know, so I need to make sure I'm telling them the stories of my cousin who didn't even have a library book to get to. Please don't take the library for granted. These opportunities are available to you. Please make the most of it. Build yourself a great career like granddaddy did. Build yourself a great career like mommy does. I have a fantastic, I always tell people, I have the best job in the world. I get to help to make dreams come true. A student tells me I want to be a lawyer. I get to find a barrister to come into their school to talk to them. A student tells me that, oh, I want to be an engineer. I get to take them on a trip to a construction site where they meet lots of other engineers who are doing work that they might be interested in. Student says, oh, I would love to do, I don't know, sports. I get to take them to Wembley Stadium. I have the best job in the world. I like to make, I help to make dreams come true. My child, you make sure you get the best job in the world. It may not be anything to do with careers, but whatever your passion is, my son, Luke, uh, uh, um, I think I've mentioned to you previously, he's 13 years old. He loves drawing. He wants to become an architect. I'm making sure that I am telling him stories so that he will be empowered to know that, guess what? You can be an architect. But more importantly, you've got to study to be one. And these, and I put him in connection, contact with employers that can help him, um, give him advice on how to become an architect. But you're very right. It is a challenge with third generation immigrant students, they take, I, well, from my own experience, I can't speak for anyone else, but I often tease my kids that you have an entitlement mentality, which you need to work on. You're not entitled. You need to earn a lot of the things you need to get. It's just not gonna happen. Go and that on. brings me to my next door. And as I was listening to you, there's so much there that I resonate with as well. And I think, you know, uh, and very similar, very similar in terms of, you know, uh, our, our, our cultural background, but also the expectations, the cultural expectations and the difference that we grew up with. So when we were at home, it was very traditionally Indian. Um, and then when you left and you went to school, it was very British. Um, yes. So um, I, 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 when I hear what you're saying, I also feel what you're saying. Mm. You know, thinking about your father and the resilience that he had, how strong he was to have left his country and come away and do those things. And actually, we take that for granted. Thank you. Because yep. we're here, and we're very settled and we feel part of that, that community and that belonging. And, and our children, therefore, feels further away from it. So I think the message here is, is actually how do we bring back that really strong thread? So A, we, we, we stay appreciative and really yes. grounded ourselves. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. look at and we say, do you know what, mom and dad, if it wasn't for, or grandpa yes. and grandpa, if it wasn't yes. for, I have to put my yes. hand up and say, big respect. Yes. Uh, and, but also to my own children, I'm taking you back to Vimancy. Honestly, I'm taking yes. you back. I did that last year in India. I took my kids back um, and we went to villages and we went to schools and, and, you know, they came back and they said, mom, I need to build something here so everyone has a job. Because if we give them money, they'll spend it. We need to give because that will keep them working. And actually, it took that trip for and a lot, lot of conversation, all the rest of blah blah. Um, but we're at the risk of losing it as well. So um, yeah, lots and lots uh, of of thoughts and feelings that have have um, have come from that. Thank you, Laddie. Oh, um, this is so exciting talking to you, Laddie, because um, more times than not, we kind of like you said, take it for granted, but we forget the actual the importance of making sure that young people are aspirational about what yep. about their futures mm -hmm. and the careers that they mm -hmm. are open to 
And so I'm, we're so excited to have you on the show and to, we've got so many more questions, but right now we've got to go to a break and we will see you right after this. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio news BBC News reports that the school run by Ruth Perry who took her own life after a critical Ofsted has been rated good after a new inspection Ms Perry died in January after receiving news her school was being downgraded from outstanding to inadequate Ms Perry's death prompted an outpouring of anger about the inspection system although Ofsted defended its grading process and said one-word gradings would not be scrapped. The latest report comments on the work done by the school to address previous weaknesses. The new report raises again the question of high-stakes inspections. MPs are to hold an inquiry in the autumn and will look at how the system is working. Ms Perry's sister, Professor Julie Waters, said in a statement, the reversal of the previous judgment in a matter of months illustrates why schools should be given the time to correct weaknesses before the final report is published and that the latest judgment proves what all of those who knew Ruth and the school have known all along. Last month Ofsted announced some changes which allow schools that were given an inadequate rating over safeguarding to be re-inspected within three months, giving them a chance to be regraded if they have addressed concerns. Teachers' pay has been in the news again following two further days of strike action from teachers in England. The Daily Mirror reports that Education Secretary Gillian Keegan is continuing to be under pressure to publish pay proposals or risk strikes dragging on even longer. All the major teaching unions in England are conducting fresh ballots after rejecting a £1,000 one-off payment for 2023 and an average 4.5% pay rise for next year. The government referred the decision on pay to the pay review body, who has reportedly recommended a 6.5% pay rise, but the DfE continues to refuse to publish the advice. The Guardian reports on Labour's plans for education should they win the next general election. The article itself focused on plans for early years, which could see more graduate teachers working in nurseries and more nursery places in primary school settings. Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Phillipson said she wanted to put early years on an equal footing with schools 
to give children the best start in life. The TES gave further comment on Labour's plans as the party set out how it plans to boost teacher retention and improve standards. The plan includes giving early career teachers a one-off payment of £2,400 for staying in the profession and sending regional improvement teams to help schools. New teachers will be required to have QTES and they will also improve recruitment by cutting costs. The party, currently in opposition, has not made any comment on teacher pay. Finally, the BBC reports on what it describes as a crisis in waiting for children in care. In March, the government extended a ban on unregulated homes to children in care aged 16 and 17. This followed a BBC investigation which found some had been forced to live in caravans and barges and some had experienced abuse. The crackdown begins in October when Ofsted will begin inspections and all unregulated care settings will become illegal. However, some local authorities fear they will have to continue the use of unregulated accommodation, usually in houses and flats in residential areas, because they will have no alternative. Regulated placements are suffering chronic staff shortages and a squeeze on places at the same time as a rise on numbers of children coming into care is causing continued issues. A DV spokesperson said it was the responsibility of local authorities to provide safe placements, but that it was investing £142 million over the next three years to ensure the transition to Ofsted registration is successful. This has been Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to support a question everyone will see at the start of next year. It goes something like this. Hi EduTwitter, can you reply with where you are so I can show my class how far a post on the internet can reach? With a bit of free tech, you can make this much more visual. I'm going to use Google Maps because it's free and most likely you'll have used Google Maps at some point in the past. So, when you have all your responses, sign into Google. Go to Maps and click on the menu next to the search box. That's the three lines of Macroburger. From the menu, select My Places. You'll now have four options. Lists, Labeled, Visited and Maps. Click on Maps and at the bottom select Create Map. Now you can give the map a title so you can find it next year for comparison and add all the places from your Twitter replies. Simply type the name of the place. When it appears with a blue point marker, you can click the plus sign to add it to the map and then select the colour to help it stand out. When you're finished, all places will be saved and you can access the map by following the first few steps. Menu, My Places, Maps. There are loads of other great tools to use also. Measure the distance from your school to those places. Hit Preview and go into View Only mode. Here you can select a place and you treat it to a short bio and an image of the area. So next time you're looking to bring a lesson to life, why not try using maps to help pupils see where places are in the world? Do you have any top tips for mapping? Why not get in touch and tell us what you want to know about tech? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back, and we are in the midst of our really interesting discussion around careers education. Uh, and before we get moving with any more of our questions, actually, I, I was thinking that maybe, Laddie, it might be worth just delving a bit deeper into what careers education actually means. Um, yeah, happy to um, try to elaborate or explain 
Um, careers education to me really is about helping students to develop the skills that are needed to sort of like evaluate and make informed decisions regarding different career paths. So it's really about exp enabling exploration of different careers. Um, often in schools, we talk about, you may have heard this terminology mentioned, C-E-I-A-G. Um, C-E-I-A-G stands for Careers, Education, Information, Advice and Guidance. And all of those four things, i.e. education, information, advice and guidance, mean three, four different things. So careers education is very much about exp enabling exploration, enabling students to know what skills it is that employers need and want out there. You know, so it's about that making sure that we educate them with regards to different careers that are available out there. And then information is providing them with information. And Google, I often tell my children, is Google is your friend. Google helps you to, to provide a lot of information. But the advice and guidance needs to often be done. Definitely the guidance part needs to be done by a qualified individual. You know, advice, you and I can give advice. Parents give advice to their children all the time with regards to careers. But, you know, if it comes to guidance, i.e. steering a child towards a particular career, you, that needs to be done by a qualified, in, in, you know, professional, just so that you don't inadvertently, say, for example, shut down a conversation. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. My father, you know, I thought at one point I wanted to become an actress. He shut me down immediately. He gave me four choices. You know, Ladidi, you're either going to be a doctor lawyer, engineer, or accountant. And in the end, I chose accountancy because I'm not too good at accountancy. But he gave, he stared me in a direction which wasn't necessarily right. Maybe it should have been explored a little bit more that, okay, why do you want to become an actress? And I made, and I've decided I didn't want to. But parents, sadly, sometimes don't realize they can shut their child down. So possibly not the best thing. And also teachers also sometimes, you know, not that they want to, but they may see that certain careers, oh, it's really difficult to be a footballer. Don't do that. It's really competitive. They break Absolutely. their bones all the time. So interesting. So I think in the world of send, um, so what the it's uh, many of our young people uh, conversations I've had said, you know, I want to be an actress, and they might be wheelchair bound, or I want to be a ballerina, and actually there are other elements, and actually there's nothing that stops them from being that ballerina and actually still being wheelchair bound. Um, it's 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 breaking those those ceilings. It's breaking the, the so-called and inverted commas in the air um norm and so yes. what would you when do you think these this area i think let's start with just the exploration part of it when do you think that should start ah that's a very good question it's funny i'm quite active on linkedin and recently i asked them um, my community i think i have about nine thousand uh, people that i'm connected with on linkedin and i just asked them when did they believe careers exploration you know it's all right careers education should start do they believe it should start in nursery primary secondary or even sort of like um you know university um the overwhelming majority went for primary and i was very pleased with that because empirical evidence backs that up there's lots of studies to say that it should start at primary some did say secondary which is where i'm currently working it, the, i work for the careers and enterprise company and um the careers and enterprise company have only just started a pilot with careers education going into primary school so that's very welcomed to be honest it's overdue in my own opinion um but it's great that it started anyway but in answer to your question Krupa, i actually believe it should start in nursery school Mm. I definitely believe it should start in nursery. The reason I go back for this is I love telling stories. My son, his name's Luke, he was in a nursery school. I purposely 
chose for him to go to a school that had predominantly lots of special um, students with special educational needs. And um, one of the things he learned at this school, which was a fantastic school, only 80 students nursery school, um, was the, the head teacher purposefully made sure once a month a different career would uh, a different professional would come in they had the London ambulance come in my son got to sit in front of the ambulance and um, touch the water hose and pretend to drive the ambulance he came home mommy I want to be an ambulance driver okay the next time um, oh, he, he, uh, he um, went to the firemen he wanted to be a firefighter and then he went they visited a construction site and that one stayed because till today he wants to be an architect he wants to be an engineer so and all that group was fostered by him being in, in um, nursery school so he got to meet um, a fireman an ambulance man a policeman uh, construction and our engineer construction um uh, oh an actor some a clown came in one point at one point he did want to be a clown but i exactly and it's so funny because i was okay with it grandma i.e my mother on the other hand you want to be a clown a clown what kind of no nobody in nigeria is a clown you know and i loved it because it was then invited the nigerian conversation in that yeah. mom guess what he could be the best clown ever so it was in a, in a way educating mom also so that she could be a better grandma to him. And now my mom is open to all possibilities of careers because we have these conversations continuously, you know, in the open. So, you know, you have to help the, the people that surround your children. You have to educate them. So careers education, yes, in schools is very much about clear exploration. But I believe career education is beyond school. It's about you educating everybody around that child to know that they should not shut down critical careers conversations, including grandparents who yeah, may I, not value non-traditional routes. I think it's breaking that that generational or, or that particular mm -hmm. demographic that mm -hmm. people feel they have to stay where they are. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if we we use you know labels such as disadvantaged and so on and so mm -hmm. forth, um, they do need to be on the same playing field as being able to yes. be exposed to all careers and having that choice and that education to be shared with those families. Mm -hmm. they, hey, we assume that they know what a lawyer does. We assume exactly. that they know what it is to be an entrepreneur. Thank you. We yep. they, um, and we need to stop doing that. The other angle of it is when you think about, you know, uh, mainstream school. I remember in, in, during my GCSEs or A-levels picking options and it was, you know, critical time and oh my god the, it was just oh I can't even anyway wow. that but I remember looking at prospectuses and thinking I've never heard of this stuff before mm -hmm. I've never seen what this course is what is that um and so how do we bring a prospectus alive sooner um the thing is you take it home and you I think it is the school's responsibility to also educate parents parental engagement is a key factor with regards to uh, careers within schools because I have seen firsthand fantastic careers advice being given to a student in a secondary school over a period of four years this particular student had always said she wanted to be a journalist always she went home went to mum and dad and said Yes, so Miss has been speaking to me. She thinks my English is really great and she thinks I could be a journalist. A mum and dad, being like my African parents, but these were Asian parents, said no, doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountancy. 
Mm. I was like, oh my God, I'm sure that's my father and her father are the same. The poor girl <laughs> came, exactly. <laughs> the poor girl came crying to her career leader the next day saying, mm. no, they said, I've got to apply to university to do one of these four areas. Luckily, we were in uh, the enterprise advisor who was a business volunteer who was supporting the school was in and I were in the school and the enterprise advisor said to the girl, do you mind if I say to you that you might want to have a conversation with mum and dad and about, and it's going to involve you building your confidence in yourself. I want you to challenge mum and dad and go back and tell them why you want to do it. Not just let them say no, 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 but tell them why. So this particular business advisor really empowered this young student to go home. We were all petrified because we thought, oh my God, you know, is mum and dad going to be really angry and say, oh, you know, it's not acceptable. How dare you talk to our child about saying, she came back the next day and luckily mum and dad would be very receptive and she applied to Bath University to study journalism. And a few years later, I got told by the career leader that she'd graduated with a first class mm. in journalism. That is amazing. Isn't it just the power of educating parents? The career leader had also taken some time to talk to the parents on the phone to say thank you for allowing their child to go on to study this particular um, you know, course at university. And she took the opportunity to continue the conversation to let the parents know that this was their daughter's passion. This is an area she was going to excel in because she was already passionate about it. Whereas if you got her into uh, being a medical doctor, she may do well, but she wouldn't like it. She'd be unhappy. And really educating the parents to understand that happiness is the goal, mm. not the pay packet that comes mm. with doctor engineer. And, you know, going back to a lot of our parents' generation traditionally felt that those three sort of like careers was automatically going to give you happiness because it gave you wealth. Wealth doesn't guarantee happiness. And this is a message I think parents need to also help to get through to their children. If wealth brought happiness, why would you have? Why is there any sort of like unhappiness in Hollywood? Why mm. do you have sort of like people in Hollywood taking drugs or getting divorced or God forbid even committing suicide? They have all the money in the world. So guess what? Money is not equated to happiness so please help your child find happiness not money and I think is and I think if we think about why they felt that and and this is to 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 hear that compassionately because it's always they believe they're doing it for the right reasons yeah. for their children and they so, could never be criticized for that no we mustn't do that no we can't we're in trouble but <laughs> if we think about just taking a compassionate view around that it really was because they were in survival yes to have that money meant they had a roof. Hmm? That was it. And, mm -hmm. and actually now we've moved away from survival and we're moving into hopefully a bit more of a safer space and moving into thriving where we have options, we have choices, we have got communities, we have a belonging. Therefore, that intrinsic element, so this, this young yes. lady that you speak about, her passion has shown that actually she was in a place of flow. She got the yes. first. It was, you know, it, it was a no-brainer that she had mm. set herself up for a sustainable future so we're moving mm. that mindset of mm. you know in uh you know leaving home leaving all those wonderful things that we, we we're really exposed to that conditioning to come to a brand new country yes brand new, brand yes new weather, yes to navigate this to my child food. brand new to, food brand new food but i need to report back home because their standard of um being successful or you know moving away is this 
but they mm. want to survive and that that has a place that like i said just needs to be heard and seen for yeah. us. but we need to now move forward and see what the next um direction is and and, and bring in that diversity I think it's really important to definitely bring that and appreciate that diversity. You know, I go back to the power of storytelling. So for me, it's about making sure that my kids understand that, yes, grandma did or granddad did tell me only four careers because that's what he knew was best at the time. Yeah, exactly. And guess what? In all things, did I not turn out very well? You know, I well. So thank you to grandpa. I'm very grateful. And what I want you to do is learn from me. Learn from my power storytelling and also know that I'm not going to force you into any career you don't want to go into. However, I am, as a good parent, going to provide you with as much information as I can so that you can make an informed decision about your future. Absolutely. Spot on. Brilliant. There's, there's so much to unpick here. I was, whilst you were talking, I, was, I, was, I had so many examples in my head of discussions good. I've had with people about different types of careers. And there's this element of perceived value to certain types of careers and jobs mm -hmm. and, um, like we were saying you know in some cultures you know certain uh, certain roles certain careers are highly regarded compared to mm. others so the perceived mm. value sometimes is only seen in monetary value monetary mm. perspective or from mm -hmm. a kind of stability perspective um, and so it's it's so interesting just the whole I, the whole no, conversation I just want to make it clear i'm not against students who want to go into a career for money that's not what i'm saying because i think money is actually a very good motivator yeah, and especially right. for students who may come from poor background you mm. know as much as yes we in this country my dad was a diplomat who then went back to nigeria when he went back to nigeria we stayed here because my daughter, my younger sister wasn't very well she had a hole in the heart and we needed to stay that then brought our our life changed we went on the poverty ladder we had to move from a fantastic house where we were chauffeur driven into a council accommodation. So, you know, it was a complete, and yet for my brother, who is now doing very well and living in America, the motivation for him was money because mm. he was like, why have we come from riches in his eyes to complete poverty? I'm mm. going to make sure I elevate mum out of this poverty so that yeah. we can get a bigger house. So money can be a great motivator for a career. I'm just yeah. saying, though, that it shouldn't be the only motivator. Yeah. You know, my brother luckily does something he loves and is very good at. And mm. I think that it comes back to coming back to the understanding the, the idea of VUCA. So right now we looked at today what happened around um, the news and how inflation and the, the cost of mortgages and, and the interest rate and all that stuff that's going up. People are now back on that poverty ladder. Mm -hmm. That, that mm -hmm. is happening as we speak right now. So actually, when we're thinking about those, you know, um, you've got the unassisted asylum seekers that are coming through. You have a um, greater number of uh, looked after children because of this. We have uh, the, the national just financial mess that, that the country's in right now. I wonder, and I do feel that this is going to leave schools and young people feeling incredibly vulnerable yeah. at the bottom of Maslow's thinking, oh my goodness, what if we have to move so our family can afford what they're doing? And, and these yeah. conversations are happening in households as we speak. Mm -hmm. These conversations are happening because it's on the news and it's mm -hmm. happening. So mm -hmm. I think there's also a proactive approach, Lady, that we could have. So we know this is happening in the social, in, in media. How do we sort of share this information in schools around that? Because I love that. I love what you've just said there that, you know, how do we share this information or definitely make sure that it gets 
incorporated into talking with students. Um, as I said, I've been in careers for about 28, 30 years, and one of the, I've learned different techniques of how to engage with students. And one thing I don't know about, if you remember, um, you know, sort of like Krupa and Nezia, growing up, you may have been asked things like by your parents, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or an uncle and auntie or a next door neighbor, whatever. You know, what do you want to be? We need to stop asking students that kind of question. The mm. question we need to be asking is, what problem do you want to solve? Oh, I love yeah? that. That's exactly. stuff. Yes. Especially with primary school students, because you ask a child who both parents are on benefit, eight year old at home, doesn't really have any much knowledge of what kind of careers there are out there. You say to them, what do you want to be? And mum and dad's never really worked. Oh, however, they do go to Sainsbury's every Saturday. Oh, I want to be a cashier person. I want to work in a cashier as a cashier in Sainsbury's. Oh, I drive lorries. They don't have enough scope as to what careers are out there. However, if you ask them that critical question, what problem do you want to solve? They will come back with something, I promise you. Mm, For example, when I was in America, I went to visit a uh, primary school and I asked the class exactly this. Two hands immediately went up. The first hand was, I want to solve hunger because too many people go hungry and during the pandemic me and my family didn't have enough food everybody was silent including me and I said that's a beautiful thing for you to want to do do you know that there's government policies all over the world that help with solving hunger and he was like policies what's that I said you could be the person who sits in your government here in Delaware to kind of make that kind of thing come true. Um, it's put good policies in place so that children like yourself or even anybody else during a pandemic do not go hungry. Loved it. The second child, I want to solve homelessness mm. because right now we're living with my auntie and there's four of us in one bedroom in her house. All of these were real life situation to these children. And it was like, hold on, hunger, housing, Maslow's hierarchy, the very basics. We might take it for granted, but guess what? These students, that's their reality. And they are now, after the conversations we all had, homelessness and hunger, um, they were now empowered. The teacher, head teacher, I said to the head teacher of the school, can you please make sure you contact your local um, you know, council, the equivalent, I think they're called district over there, to say, could we have somebody come in to talk to the students about policy on hunger and homelessness, what they're doing in their councils, because we need to make sure we're nurturing, watering these seeds that we've just planted today. Mm. So, you know, these are the kind of conversations we need to be having with students. Just tell them to look at a newspaper. Read a newspaper. A newspaper is full. Sorry, I was going to say a newspaper is full of issues that need solving. Sorry, Krupa, you were saying? I was saying, and just keeping it really real. Yes. You know, they're, they're hearing and seeing that, you know, we talk about social media earlier we talked about you know the recognizing the, the the differences between themselves and their peers and so on and so forth and actually if you just have those conversations mm -hmm. and 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 give them the hope and yes. emotional support to yes you know without it being uh you know, structured in a way i know, love that word hope hope hope, hope is, is something we all need without hope none of us will be able to move forward we have to make sure we continuously feed children with hope and empower them to know that they can change the world if they want to 
you know, Steve Jobs made Apple. He didn't just, you know, make Apple. He's changed the way we all communicate with each other. That could mm -hmm. be used in the classroom. If you want, be the, I'll go back to what Gandhi said, be the yeah. change you want to see. Yeah. yeah? Be yeah. the change you want to see. And we've got, and I go back to my father. I always go back. I guess he's kind of like my, my root and my basis for everything. But I'll never forget when I was upset about a particular Nigerian policy. He made me write a letter to the Nigerian president. I wrote my letter. He mailed it. I could not believe dad came home. The guy had replied. I still have that letter today. I was 13, 12 maybe. Buhari was the government, uh, the president of Nigeria, and he wrote back to me saying, thank you for my um, concern about his particular regime and that he would take it under consideration. I cannot tell you how that empowered me as a 12-year-old to know that I can change it if I want to, because guess what? A whole president of a country wrote to me. We need to make sure that we do that to our kids. They can change. If they want to see change, let them go ahead and be that change. Right to the president, right to Ruchi Sunak, right to um, Biden, right to anybody. If you want to see that change, write to them and start lobbying. Mm. That's fascinating, um, Laddie. Uh, I'm going to change tack slightly and I'm going to just um, move towards uh, a question which we've actually asked more or less most of our guests that have been coming on our shows. Um, and this is linked to the difficulties and challenging challenges that you have come across within the industry, especially when it comes to young people accessing um, employers and specific industries. No, thank you. It's a very good question. Um, you know, as with any kind of um, industry or any occupation, you will always have challenges. So, you mm. know, I have encountered some sort of like difficulties and challenges such as um, for example, one of the biggest things that I came across was sort of like um, what I class as limited awareness and understanding um, or, um, amongst employers as to how schools operate. Until I worked in a school, I didn't know what a recce was. You know, so our employers often come to us and say, oh, bring your students. Of course, come let them visit us. You know, they can see how we work. You know, they'll visit our uh, marketing department. They'll visit their finance department, the HR department. Come on, bring them to the, you know, to the construction site. They'll see the cranes that go up and they'll work a, a machine that digs holes in the ground and see how cement is made. And that's all well and good. And we all want to do that. And we all want to bring our students. The only thing is, Students, schools just can't take them like that. They've got to do a recce. They've got mm -hmm. to do a risk assessment. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if it's school students with special educational needs. So the employers sometimes get frustrated because it's like industry moves like that, ladies. Yes, you know, yes. they want something done. It, you know, someone signs a piece of paper, two hours later, it's done. In schools, it's a lot slower. You know, it can take weeks even months sometimes to get that visit done. So we need to basically communicate better and help each other to understand each other's perspectives. Schools move slow because we health and safety and safeguarding of students is paramount. It is first and foremost. Employers don't know that until we tell them that they don't understand it. So really, I guess for me, the biggest thing is sort of like lack of awareness and understanding of each other's sort of like ways of working. Krupa, did you want to come in? Yes. Do you know what? I And, and I hear that and I and I 100% understand the safeguarding health and safety. Now, when, when head and I had, um, as a teacher, I made sure every learner in sixth form was out a day in a week. 
everyone was out um in, in sixth form and they went to things that were meaningful and you know to the point that they were employed at the end of it it was wonderful it was an absolute operational nightmare everybody was sick on that day and so we'd have to find someone that would drive the minibus but we made it happen okay mm -hmm. and, and we were really like the staff were outstanding and you know really cared about direction however my argument would always be when we had this conversation with with employers um and with staff and with parents uh when we take so long to do these things actually in the world of work are you waiting on, on the risk assessment for you to go to work so what could, so we no. need to thinking about our planning and that planning around that better so then we started introducing something called world of work from year seven and mm -hmm. so it started to get learners thinking about what the world was, was like and try to re recreate those things so mm -hmm. when they so they're identifying those risks sooner independently yes so the risk okay. set thread doesn't become such a big hefty document mm -hmm. um you really do, do you see what i mean so i think mm -hmm. it, i then learned i learned the hard way don't get me wrong mm -hmm. was actually the sooner we get this done uh, the sooner we start having these conversations and embedding it within the curriculum, within the timetable. Yes, yes. So much time. It shouldn't feel like it's mm -hmm. a, 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 a big weight. Do you see what I mean? Um, yes, I always keep coming back to in the world of work, which is what we're trying to, to, to sort of appreciate here and trying to get people thinking and moving in this way. Would you be waiting this long? No. No, but then you are dealing with adults who also know how to cross a road safely. That's, yes. you know, I'm starting to realise because we're trying to, the school I visited, we're trying to get them to go across the road to visit a construction site, you know, and after what I saw at the school, you know, the students themselves, keeping them even in the classroom was tricky. So, yeah. you know, to take them across a major road in Brent Cross, you know, where buses and lorries come would, you know, it does need a little bit more understanding from the employer. And luckily, this particular employer understood that. I think it's just educating that, look, guys, you're thinking we could do this tomorrow. We may need to take a week or two. Absolutely. Yeah, that's incredible. But also having them come in. So while yes. journey of their, you know, while we're getting learners out and they are developing those independent skills and they learn the life skills around crossing roads safely. Exactly. That, that spatial awareness yeah. and so forth it's it's how can we keep momentum and nourishing and that that dialogue because that's that you want to embed those skills and these happening simultaneously how do we get those employers or people that yes. are industries yes. coming into schools in the exactly. internal you know similar which is not easy yeah. to work at the time but, yeah. but it's yeah. also educating employers to recognize that you engaging with schools and colleges is not just a nice CSR thing to do or morally. It is about you protecting your talent pipeline. Absolutely. If you want the future workforce to have the school skills that your industry needs, you need to be going into schools that's mm. helping students know what skills that you need. So please do not see this as in a it's a wonderful, glorious, luxurious thing we're doing, helping students, it's making us all feel very good about ourselves. No, it is. If you do not want your industry to die, yeah. uh, as COVID has shown, certain things can easily go. We don't have to be at work 24-7 anymore. Hybrid mm -hmm. working is the way, you know. If you want your industry to survive, please go in and educate students as to what skills your industry needs. Yeah, what abilities, what kind of experiences you're looking for in the classroom that can be translated into the world of work. 
So, you know, it's also very much so for me, those are the kind of challenges that I'm finding that, you know, helping employers to understand that it's not just a great thing to do. It's not just a great community thing. It's actually protecting your talent pipeline. So that's uh, a one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We're just about to head into a break. But before we do that, I just wanted to also bring up the, the, the thought process around employers and employees. So these young people, potential employees, understanding advocacy and being yes. able to ask they need because that's also very it's a very important um area where where to support employers who do want to do wonderful things and have learners in and trying to work and we're trying to find this middle ground of getting in them in and being safe and, and all these other really important things is also thinking about how can a learner feel confident that when they say i need x strategy or y strategy that the, mm -hmm. the person receiving that understands and is able to support that and i think that, that there is an education element that 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 probably need some more developing as well. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think there's also some employers out there that want to help, but sadly mm -hmm. can't just because of the size of their organization. You know, they don't have the capacity. One employer told me, Laddie, I want to go into the schools more, but I'm literally a one man band. Yes. You know, so these kind of challenges come as well, you know, sort of like conflicting priorities, conflicting constraints. You know, he he goes out of his business. That's nobody answer the phones for the whole day, you know, whereas his heart is in the right place. Um, another thing we've kind of alluded to something we're very concerned about, but we've spoken a little bit about is sort of like managing mismatched expectations the student expectation you know and to the employer expectation it's really empowering employers to know that they can have good deep conversations such with around things like time management you know you know i'm asking you to come to work on time because that's what's expected of you in the real world yeah i know in you know school you can be late and you just get a little bit of a you know i don't know five minute detention but at work you could be you could be sacked for that so please understand that time management is a big thing. So helping students to recognize what they're supposed to get out of this. Preparing students is really key. Educators preparing students, but also preparing the employers themselves to know how to talk to students. You know, don't be too harsh and, you know, kind of, you know, just cutting them off, but talk to them really in a nice, compassionate way that can help them to change behavior as such um and engaged so they come back in yes come back in right it looks as though we are now heading out to a break so we'll be back very shortly to continue this really exciting interview um so we shall see you shortly it's time for a fresh start to language learning Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this 
is Teachers Talk Radio News. BBC News reports that the school run by Ruth Perry, who took her own life after a critical Ofsted, has been rated good after a new inspection. Ms Perry died in January after receiving news her school was being downgraded from outstanding to inadequate. Ms Perry's death prompted an outpouring of anger about the inspection system, although Ofsted defended its grading process and said one-word gradings would not be scrapped. The latest report comments on the work done by the school to address previous weaknesses. The new report raises again the question of high-stakes inspections. MPs are to hold an inquiry in the autumn and will look at how the system is working. Ms Perry's sister, Professor Julia Waters, said in a statement, the reversal of the previous judgment in a matter of months illustrates why schools should be given the time to correct weaknesses before the final report is published, and that the latest judgment proves what all of those who knew Ruth and the school have known all along. Last month, Ofsted announced some changes which allow schools that were given an inadequate rating over safeguarding to be re-inspected within three months, giving them a chance to be regraded if they have addressed concerns. Teachers' pay has been in the news again following two further days of strike action from teachers in England. The Daily Mirror reports that Education Secretary Gillian Keegan is continuing to be under pressure to publish pay proposals or risk strikes dragging on even longer. All the major teaching unions in England are conducting fresh ballots after rejecting a £1,000 one-off payment for 2023 and an average 4.5% pay rise for next year. The government referred the decision on pay to the pay review body, who has reportedly recommended a 6.5% pay rise, but the DfE continues to refuse to publish the advice. The Guardian reports on Labour's plans for education should they win the next general election. The article itself focused on plans for early years, which could see more graduate teachers working in nurseries and more nursery places in primary school settings. Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Philipson said she wanted to put early years on an equal footing with schools to give children the best start in life. The TES gave further comment on Labour's plans as the party set out how it plans to boost teacher retention and improve standards. The plan includes giving early career teachers a one-off payment of £2,400 for staying in the profession and sending regional improvement teams to help schools. New teachers will be required to have QTS and they will also improve recruitment by cutting costs. The party, currently in opposition, has not made any comment on teacher pay. Finally, the BBC reports on what it describes as a crisis in waiting for children in care. In March, the government extended a ban on unregulated homes to children in care aged 16 and 17. This followed a BBC investigation which found some had been forced to live in caravans and barges and some had experienced abuse. The crackdown begins in October when Ofsted begin inspections and all unregulated care settings will become illegal. However, some local authorities fear they will have to continue the use of unregulated accommodation, usually in houses and flats in res residential areas, because they will have no alternative. Regulated placements are suffering chronic staff shortages and a squeeze on places at the same time as a rise on numbers of children coming into care is causing continued issues. 
a DfE spokesperson said it was the responsibility of local authorities to provide safe placements, but that it was investing £142 million over the next three years to ensure the transition to Ofsted registration is successful. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to support a question everyone will see at the start of next year. It goes something like this. Hi EduTwitter, can you reply with where you are so I can show my class how far a post on the internet can reach? With a bit of free tech, you can make this much more visual. I'm going to use Google Maps because it's free and most likely you'll have used Google Maps at some point in the past. So, when you have all your responses, sign into Google Go to Maps and click on the menu next to the search box. That's the three lines that look like a burger. From the menu, select My Places. You'll now have four options. Lists, Labeled, Visited and Maps. Click on Maps and at the bottom select Create Map. Now you can give the map a title so you can find it next year for comparison and add all the places from your Twitter replies. Simply type the name of the place. When it appears with a blue point marker, you can click the plus sign to add it to the map and then select the colour to help it stand out. When you're finished, all places will be saved and you can access the map by following the first few steps. Menu, My Places, Maps. There are loads of other great tools to use also. Measure the distance from your school to those places. Hit Preview and go into the View Only mode. Here you can select the place and you treat it to a short bio and an image of the area. So next time you're looking to bring a lesson to life, why not try using maps to help pupils see where places are in the world? Do you have any top tips for mapping? Why not get in touch and tell us what you want to know about tech? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back. Um, I hope you are enjoying our fascinating discussion with Laddie uh, on all things careers education. Um, and we are now moving on uh, closer to the end of our interview. So uh, some pertinent questions left. Krupa. Thank you, Nazia. So um, uh, those of you that know me know that I am a huge advocate for next steps, for careers um, and for thinking big. And so this this conversation, Lada, I tell you, is making my heart sing over and over again. I feel like we can talk for days on end and no doubt we will remain in contact and remain talking. There's a reason why we've connected. But before I get carried with all the other great stuff that, that I do want to talk about, I do want you to shed some light on the Gatsby benchmarks and why it's important or not. And what's your favourite uh, uh, Gatsby? Oh, I'm so glad you asked about the what's your favourite one, because I've got <laughs> to tell you about my favourite one. Anybody that follows okay. it on social media will know what my favourite one is. But I thought, let me start by trying to sort of like give some context as to what the Gatsby benchmarks are, because I'm very sure unless you're in the career space, you've probably never heard of the Gatsby benchmarks. Um, I've been in careers about 30 years. I welcome the Gatsby benchmark. It came into being about 2013. A wonderful gentleman called Sir John Holman conducted a worldwide research as to what career, what good careers provision, outstanding careers provision looks like. And he has um, come up with a wonderful framework of eight things that uh, educational institutions should do to have outstanding careers provision. And that is known, and this framework, these eight things are known as the Gatsby benchmarks. So um, I like to think of the Gatsby benchmarks as a set of guidelines created by the Gatsby Foundation, 
where um, right here in the United Kingdom, um, which is basically to ensure that young people receive effective careers, guidance and support. Um, the benchmarks serve as a framework for schools, colleges and even organisations um, to improve their careers programmes and to help young individuals make informed decisions about their future. Um, in an attempt to explain sort of like in a bit more detail what the Gatsby benchmarks are, the eight Gatsby benchmarks and their importance, I'll start by mentioning the first one, Gatsby benchmark one it's known as and that is about each education establishment must have a stable careers program um, this particular benchmark emphasizes the importance of having a structured stable careers programs um, within education institutions it involves appointing a dedicated career leader um, establishing a careers program i.e what you intend to do regarding careers employability and pathways in your school or college moving forward and also critically providing opportunities um, for the where so that the rest of the gastro benchmarks can be achieved so often it's said that this is like the bedrock for the rest of the gatsby benchmark so a lot of people say including myself, Gatsby Benchmark 1 is very important because it is the basis of the rest of the benchmarks. Benchmark 2 is about labour market information. And I often like to say to people, it really involves making sure, it really is about making sure that students know about what we class as labour market information. And that's things like what careers are in demand now, what careers will be in demand in five years, 10 years, 15 years. And coupled with that, what skills will be in demand to meet those careers as such. You know, for example, the pandemic, digital skills has never been more important. Rupa, you mentioned earlier, resilience skills, something that our parents came here from, from India, from Nigeria, from China, from wherever our parents came from as immigrants, they came with a lot of resilience skills. Those bounce back abilities coming back into fashion now. Employers want you to be resilient. You know, can you recover very quickly from, I don't know, bad news such as your share prices have fallen down? Are you the kind that, okay, I'm going to sit and waller in it? Or are you the kind to be able to bounce back and say, okay, the share prices have fallen, but we're going to do this and this and this for our company. So it's that kind of making sure that students are equipped with the skills that are needed for the future. But also things like entry level salaries. A lot of students leave university, ladies, and they think, oh, I'm going to walk here straight into a 30, 40 grand, 50 grand job. And a student saying, yeah, I want to do that because it gives me 60 grand. I have to really manage his expectations that, look, <laughs> 50 grand is what, like, is the mid-range salary. Yeah, when you first start, you may be on 19, 20. <gasps> Miss, I can't live on that. Yes, yeah, so you might want to stay at home instead of thinking about going to buy your own flat or, you know, have your own flat in London. So it's about helping students to manage their expectations, but also really to know what kind of jobs are out there and what skills are out there so that they can prepare for it. That's Gatsby Benchmark 2. Um, Krupa, you and also, Liza, you may also like Gatsby Benchmark 3. That may be your favourite because it's the one that really tackles um, inclusion. It's about making sure that we're addressing individual student needs. Uh, you know, it highlights the importance of personal career support geared toward that particular, um, you know, child, that student. It challenges stereotypical thinking. Boys, please know you can be nurses. Girls, please know you can be engineers. Yeah. yeah. It also is about, you know, send students, you know, please don't tell a send student because they have some kind of, you know, in your eyes of disability as such, and it means they'll never work. No, they are several SEN students, and I've heard stories from multiple employers, you know, saying, listen, 
that Sin student, we love him because he absolutely loves repetitive tasks. So for us, the whole thing that needs our shredding, uh, you know, every at the end of every day, our shred, uh, we have to have, you know, confidential documents shredded. Nobody wants to stay for half an hour every day doing this. He loves doing it. He will do it the whole day. We've never had a problem with shredding anymore because he just loves doing it. So please understand, it's just, as my son always says, mum, they just have a different ability. And it is our job to understand they have that different ability. Um, and so to make sure that we have inclusion and diversity policies in place to make sure that we're catering to meeting that individual student need. Now, I'm deliberately going to miss out Gatsby Benchmark 4 because it is my favourite benchmark. It's about yeah. linking curriculum learning to careers. I'll quickly talk about Gatsby Benchmarks 5 and 6. Um, 5 and 6 is actually why the Careers and Enterprise Company was initially established in 2015. And it was basically about making sure that students um, have employers coming into schools and colleges to talk to students about the world of work and also students going out into the world of work to meet uh, on employer sites to witness what it's like to be at an employer site. So things like work insight visits falls into Gatsby 6. So um, things like work experience also fall into Gatsby 6. Things like um, job shadowing falls into Gatsby Benchmark 6. Gatsby Benchmark 6 is that students must get to experience a workplace. So they must, well, when they visit a workplace, they'll see the HR department, finance department, uh, marketing department, and then they'll be able to make informed decisions about their career. So Gatsby Benchmark 5 is about getting employers into schools. Gatsby Benchmark 6 is about getting students out into the world of work. And then gets the benchmark seven and eight. Seven is very much about making sure that students are know about um, further and higher education. And in this day and age, we are very much, the careers and enterprise company, very much about promoting and amplifying technical and vocational pathways. Countries such as Germany, Sweden have been very good about apprenticeships and a lot of their workforce from a very young, uh, young age know that they're going to this vocation. We here in England, haven't made it so much so. We've really pioneered and championed the academic degree, three-year academic degree. Guys, it's a lot more than that these days. Students like my son, 13-year-old son, he needs to learn hands-on. So he probably will be doing an apprenticeship. His, his own words, he doesn't want to do the traditional degree. He wants to do an apprenticeship because also it helps him get paid while he's working. But more importantly, at the end of three to five years, he has got experience. So as opposed to a traditional degree where you've gone into university and you may not or may not have that work experience. Now, quickly end on Gatsby Benchmark 8, which is really crucial, which is that each student should have access to a qualified, and I underline qualified, careers guidance counsellor. You know, someone who is qualified to be able to guide that student in their chosen path. So it's a very different, as I spoke earlier, it's very different to careers advice. You and I can give advice. This is what we think is good. Um, I am actually a qualified careers um, um, a guidance counsellor, so I have my level six. Um, so I can give guidance, but you know we should only make sure that people who are qualified can do so. And then lastly, I'll really elaborate on my favourite by far of all the benchmarks. It is the best benchmark ever because it is benchmark for linking curriculum learning to careers. Why I love it is very simple. It helps students make the connection with what they are learning in the classroom and how it's used in the world of work. Mm. I started this uh, job that I, well, working for the Careers and Enterprise Company about five years ago. And I remember the day when I decided I'm going to probably spend the rest of my life in some way, shape or form working, even as a volunteer for them if I was to leave paid employment. It was because I went into a classroom in a school here in West London 
and the engineer who was the business volunteer, the enterprise advisor for that school came in and um, he came into the classroom and the boys and girls were a bit rowdy. And um, he came in and he said, um, look at this bridge. And he brought up his computer, his laptop and, he, and they all looked at the bridge. He said, what country is that bridge in? He gave him a little bit of a clue, oh, down under and all sorts. And they got it right, it was Australia, Australia Sydney Harbour Bridge. He then showed pictures of the, um, uh, the San Francisco Bridge. And then he showed pictures of the Hammersmith Bridge just down the road. And he said, my company has helped build these bridges. And guess how we did it? We used Pythagoras theorem. My yeah. jaw dropped because I was like, somebody actually said this Pythagoras theorem is real? Somebody uses it? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about you ladies, but I genuinely did not believe anybody would ever use Pythagoras theorem. You know, yeah. the square of something, something, two sides and add it together, make the square of the hypotenuse or something along those lines. Anyway, this gentleman showed us wonderful diagrams of how he uses Pythagoras theorem to build these bridges and trigonometry and all sorts. And um, then one boy in the back of the class who was a bit rowdy when we first came in, put his hand up and he says, sir, I saw you drive in in that Lamborghini down there. So you're trying to tell me if I learn Pythagoras theorem, I will have a Lamborghini like you. And I tell you, I love the engineer. He didn't miss a beat. He turned his laptop around. He goes, look at my desktop uh, picture. That's my wife. That's our house. That's my beautiful baby girl, not born too long ago. And those are our two dogs. I'm telling you, young man, you learn and stay well, good in school and do it right. Learn Pythagoras and a lot more. You will have this house and a lot more than just that Lamborghini down there. The boy turned around to his teacher and he said, Miss, I promise you, I'm going to learn Pythagoras theory and every other theory there is so that I can have a Lamborghini. <laughs> Ladies, I love that story because for me, it was the light bulb moment I needed for me to understand. This relating what they're learning in the classroom to the world of work raises aspirations. Mm. This boy was now curious enough about engineering because he wanted a Lamborghini. Hence, I'm not against you wanting money or good things in life. If it'll get you there. To me, that's a nice thing to, that you want to do. Let's make sure that we continue to help them connect maths to the world of work, English to the world of work, science to the world of work, PSHE to the world of work. So for me, it's that kind of thing that, you know, why I love Gatsby Benchmark 4 so much. It really emphasizes the importance of helping students know what that what they're learning in the classroom is connected to employment, future employment that they will be interested in. It helps that career exploration that I was talking about earlier. And I think taking that further, it enables them to actually think, okay, employment is an element, but then to think bigger and become self-employed. So you can design your own jobs. Like, how cool is that? Like, I wish someone said that to me. Mm. All these great things, you know, studied hard and all the rest of it. And I'm like, I still quite haven't found what I'm looking for. But you I see, in America, it is like that. Sadly, we don't do that here in England, which is really sad. Every mm. American child believes that they will be their own CEO. They're brought up to believe that entrepreneurial is a path for them if they want it to be. Whereas for some reason here, we just haven't done that in England. I don't know about what you, where you guys are from, but in Nigeria, a lot of people think about owning their own company. Here, mm -hmm. for some reason, we just don't. We always think about working for someone. But guess what? When you're working for someone, you're making helping them their dreams come true. Mm -hmm. Work for yourself and make your dreams come true. So, but it's maybe then thinking about purpose. So, it comes back to your your, your winning question: is is what change do you want to make? Mm -hmm. So it brings it right back to that. So, if you are going to be employed, but you're going to be employed, where we're thinking about you know purpose, and you're thinking about people, and then partnerships, 
and then the planets are those my, my big four areas that I generally think in terms of right how am I going to inspire in this room it has to hit one of those if not all of these areas and in life so you've got a structure there but I think how we need to start bringing that together because there is one way and there is no right that there, there are various pathways and being able to carve that and be able to move in in whichever direction that can be is good it's all good stuff yeah exactly this, this is so amazing you know it's like knowing about careers education it really it it i was i was reading that book i, start, I started reading a book called um hopeful schools um, okay and i think it's i think it's uh by mary mary myatt i think wrote hopeful schools um I started reading it and then I put it down and, and because I got busy with work, but I, just the, the the thinking around how careers education is gives hope, gives hope to the future yep. generation. Yes, and the thing is that if it's embedded, then the idea of schools is just so um, it, it's just so powerful. Exactly, I agree. Um, and achievable and achievable i love helpful schools that's such a wonderful way to think about it mm. so uh, we are coming to the end of our interview sadly laddie i mean we really love talking to you um so um we need to ask you our last and final question um and it's probably one of our favorite questions which is about top tips and insights so if anyone is interested in working with a career, working within the sector, but specifically for careers education, so supporting the career work within educational settings, what top tips and insights can you give to that person? Okay. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do so. Um, I have loads and loads of tips. It depends, I guess, who I'm talking to. If it's a career, uh, potential educator who wants to sort of like enter into education, I've got different tips. And then if it's an employer, I've got different tips. But let's just say we're looking at someone who wants to enter, you know, say, like be a career leader or an educator. I say the first thing is please work towards in your school work towards achieving all eight Gatsby benchmarks. The eight that I've just given you there really work towards achieving that. That's been seen internationally recognized as the gold standard for careers education. So implementing and uh, you know applying those eight Gatsby benchmarks will be really, really a great place to start. It really helps with you know my favorite, which is clear career exploration. Children should be able to explore different careers. Uh, you know, so for me it's that really, you know, going out there and students to know about the different careers that are out there, the different skills that are needed without, within those, um, you know, sort of like jobs that are out there. Also enabling students to get work experience, um, go out into meet employers, that kind of thing. So all the things really encompassed within the eight Gatsby benchmark. So um, other things I'd say to someone looking uh, to be a career leader possibly would be, please concentrate on building your um, strong partnerships. And I really say this because a lot of educators don't realize they're thinking oh, i'm saying to them go out and meet employers oh i'm too shy that's not my job that's not why i went into teaching guess what you are surrounded by employers in your everyday life you know 
Nizia, you just said your brother's there with you, your sister's there with you. They may well be working. They are employers you already have can come into your schools. Your next door neighbor, the fact that he's a pl plumber, self-employed plumber, get him into a school to talk about self-employment. Your sister, who is a nurse, you know, your mother who used to be our teacher in um, India, get her in. You know, whoever you have around you, the person you used to work with, your first ever job when you felt came out of university when you both worked in a hotel and he's now a hotel manager. Get them in. You have lots of people, the people you even buy coffee from in the morning before you're going to school. You know, the person that served you your coffee, when they close at two o'clock because coffees then are, are closed after lunch, get them to come in and give a careers talk. You have to recognize as educators, you are surrounded by a network of people who you know, but just for some reason, have just not managed to make that connection that guess what, they're all employers, let me get them in. Okay, so start building those, um, you know, sort of like strong networks and start recognizing that you yourself have a network already of people around you, friends, family, and all sorts, you know, your imam at the mosque, um, your pastor at church, those kind of people, whoever it is, they are probably working and can come in and talk about their careers. We hinted at this earlier, please engage your parents and guardians and carers. It's really important. Parental engagement is critical because parents can undo great careers advice just by the words of no, you cannot be an actor. No, you cannot be a journalist. You know, we've spoken about that. So please engage your parents and understand that you need to also educate them. Um, offer different diverse career explorations. So, you know, things like holding the career fair, I'm not against them, but just please make sure it's meaningful. Career fair is just going around and ticking, yeah, visitor table one, table two, table three. No, empower your students to ask questions. What skills are needed in your industry? You know, those kind of questions, okay? Um, job shadowing, internships, bringing in guest speakers. Consider a mentoring program if you've got sort of like needs. I've seen mentoring programs with um, students that are in danger of becoming not in employment, um, educational training. Mentoring programs have turned them around. And as you mentioned earlier, the um, self-employment aspect of it can really be quite crucial in turning sort of like needs provision around in the sense that, okay, hold on, I can actually make money by working for myself. Oh my goodness, all right, I'm going to start paying attention in school because I don't have to work for somebody, I can work for myself. So, you know, make sure you're kind of really helping them to explore different careers. Exactly what you said earlier, you know, Krupa, making sure that we enable students to see the self-employment is also an option. Um, yeah, we've spoken about sort of like making sure that we've spoke, uh, we, the school offers personalised guidance, individualised guidance. And going back to sort of like both of you who have come from, you know, working head teachers in schools with students with special educational needs, making sure that the mainstream schools also remember that they have a special education need department and hence catering to those individual students. SEND is not just about SEND provision school, uh, SEND only schools. No, every single mainstream school has a SEND department. What are you doing for your SEND department? So let's all make sure we're asking what those kind of questions really and truly. Um, so the top tips is think about what we could be doing more for our SEND students. I've challenged myself. This year for me is about what I could be doing more for my SEND students because, you know, I, we need to just make sure that we're catering to their needs. Um, blah, blah, blah. Employability skills I've spoken about. I'm trying to think what else I might make. Yeah, oh. The biggie, that's the biggie for me, monitor and evaluate impact. I remember telling many of my staff, you know, if you can't evidence it, it never happened. No matter how great that wonderful careers talk you gave is, if you did not get the evaluation forms completed afterwards or beforehand to show journey travelled, it didn't happen because we've got no way of measuring the impact it's having. So please make sure you collect that data. That data will help you to hopefully even get funding. 
So really crucial that you are, you know, making sure you um, stay on top of that data. And then last but by no means least for me is EDI really, you know, equity, uh, diversity and inclusion being biggies, make sure we're really addressing that. And that's not just about sort of like LGBT, race, um, ageism or whatever, you know, it's very much about Please understand and appreciate where our grandparents have come from. And okay, the, then they may not have seen very, I don't know, they may have been working in places that were not very race friendly as such. However, they didn't just sit back and just say, no, it's okay, we cannot trample over me. They challenged, they challenged and made things better. Please know that you have to be that change we want to see. Challenge to make things better. Okay, don't sit back and just think, you know, what's the way it is, I mean, it's broken, I'm not going to get anywhere with it. No, sit back and think, you know what, I am going to make things better and I'm going to be the change I want to see, the kind of things we spoke about earlier. Um, so that's it from a school perspective. From an employer perspective, it's mainly please start communicating. Employers have often told me the reason that they haven't been involved in schools is they don't know how to do it and nobody's ever asked them. Please, can I ask of all educators, please just ask employers and guide them as to how to do it, please. Yeah, ask. The only reason they don't do your alumni and employers, the only reason they're not involved is nobody ever asked them. So my big tip is please do ask employers and employers. I then urge you in equal amount, please seek to understand first than to be understood. And I go back to, you know, this sort of like one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite, I think it's number five in this one, Seven um, Habits of Highly Effective People by um, Stephen Covey. You know, seek to understand first than to be understood. Know how schools work and work with them, please. Okay. They may be in your eyes a little bit slow because you've invited them to come and see your construction site. They can't come tomorrow. No, but they will come probably within the month or worst case scenario sometime that academic year. Just be patient and be understanding. I think I'll leave it there, ladies, because I could talk forever. <laughs> Thank you so much, Laddie. Krupai, final thoughts, final words? I, 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 I'm floored. I'm in awe. I feel infused. Uh, I love being an enterprise advisor. I love seeing your posts. I love being part of a network where we are so aligned. And I think that's everything you've said there has just brought all of that together. Um, I think the passion runs really strong in the discussion that we've had. I love how real you are with it. You know, there's no sugar coating. This is what, what it is. This is the direction we're going. Who's jumping on board? Let's do this. Um, it takes a village, laddie. And I say this over and over again. It takes a village. And we're starting with a really good village here now. So um, I, I really hope that those that are listening uh, today are, yeah, are really enjoying this. I really do. Thank you for reminding me of that. You know, it really does take a village. And we three ladies, we're our village and we'll continue to recruit more to our village and we will get there with these young children. So, so that was the end of our interview with Laddie. She has been an inspiration and uh, an inspirational actually in terms of making sure that um, we as educators always have uh, some support in making in for our students actually we have support for our students um and krupa what are your thoughts ah so i have three things um that have come to mind for me so i thought the impact of storytelling 
um, and actually how we can use that to engage all stakeholders, because that alone, I think, is just a, a really important key there. The second thought that was running through my mind was um, the ways that of reflecting realities of our learners and, and again, stakeholders that will be involved. So their interest and their identities and, be, and bringing that to the forefront, because there's, there's some power, there's lots of power in that. And the third thing um, is the, the quality of careers and its destinations. Um, and that it doesn't have to be linear. It could, it could go in various ways. And I like that. It, it, I, I felt hope and I can see choice on its way when it comes to career. So um, that, those are my takeaways from, from that session. Yeah. And thank you so much, Laddie, for joining us. Um, and we hope our listeners got lots and lots of information, useful information out of that in the review. So, Krupa, we move on to our segment of I Wish I Knew Earlier. Okay, so this has been inspired um, from my daughters this morning. Um, so they had a gymnastics competition and one of my daughters had had a blip in her routine. Um, and she was the first start filled with nerves, um, with so many eyes on her, yet she continued. She went back to her team, she breathed. And although she felt uh, frustrated and disappointed, despite of that, she championed on to support them. And I thought, wow, like I wanted to just go and hold her and, and I just watched her and, and allowed that, that to just un, unravel and so what I learned from her was that she respected herself and as a result she was able to offer the respect to others and therefore I think her, her, her competitors respected her too so I wish I knew this I wish I knew that building and supporting that, um, others takes nothing away from you and the value of character development and that's what I've learned today from her oh that's wonderful thank you for that Krupa um, and my serenity Sunday moment something that we still need to find a jingle for. Um, so we've spoken a little bit about storytelling and hope. And today I have some more words to say about both, actually. Life gets gritty sometimes. So hope plays a big part in preparation for those inevitable tough times. So what helps you to harness hope? Is it keeping a clear head? Is it protecting your peace? Staying grounded, being intentional with the actions you take? Is it seeking safe spaces and allowing yourself to be you? Is it about setting boundaries and forming friendships that uplift and enrich all of those things? Be proud of you for forging your own path, for breaking toxic intergenerational patterns and for persisting every day so that hope remains consistent and constant. Let your story unfold, let it be told let it be an inspiration for your children and the young pe people you work with. Your story will take its own twists and turns, and it's not easy, but ultimately so worth it. With fist bumps and high fives from us, Krupa and Nazia, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.